Well, please turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And the, uh, the text we're looking at is 9 through 15, though I'll read a little bit past that uh, <clears throat> to get a little more of the flavor of it. We'll read through 18. So 2 Timothy chapter <clears throat> 4, 9 through 18. And hear now God's word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The uh, title of the sermon tonight I borrowed from Kent Hughes, Tough Friends for Tough Times. And I think it's a really good title for this section because Paul was definitely in a tight spot. Uh, He was in a tough time in his life uh, there in prison in Rome. And he needed the assistance and the help of friends who would also have to be tough to be able to go through uh, the circumstances that Paul was having to deal with. So that's really a good theme verse and thinking about that. And Paul, uh, like hopefully you, understood the importance of having friends uh, to be with them during difficult times. And he'd experienced this in two, uh, two different occasions. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 to 7. Uh, earlier, in, when he was ministering in Macedonia, he reached a point where um, he was downcast. Some translations would have depressed, or it certainly would communicate that idea. And so let's read that, uh, about that, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. It says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So Paul had come to a point in his life ministering there in um, Macedonia, and the New American Standard 
translates downcast as depressed. And he had reached a really low point in his life. And God comforted him in this way by the coming of Titus. And Titus, this friend, this tough friend in a tough time, came to him and it comforted Paul. And um, he was comforted not only by Titus's coming, but the message he had to communicate of the the uh, Christian friends, um, their longing, their mourning, their zeal for Paul that, uh, that increased his joy even more and helped him through that time. We need those friends at difficult times. And we need to be those kind of friends at difficult times in the lives of those we know. So come back to Second Timothy uh, only turn to chapter 1 of Second Timothy. Paul learned this also, not only in his time in Macedonia, but also through this friend, and Ryan had preached on this earlier, Onesiphorus. And so in Second Timothy 1, verse 16, Paul writes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Onesiphorus was a friend from Ephesus. He had been a friend of Paul for a while. But when Paul was a prison, the second time now in Rome, uh, this friend of his came to Rome And he had to search for him. And Paul, in the second Roman imprisonment, the first Roman imprisonment, perhaps through the whole time, was basically a house arrest. So it wasn't wasn't pleasant by any means, but it wasn't a horrible situation necessarily. But this time when he was imprisoned, he was imprisoned in what is known as the Marmitine prison. I read that term and uh, I wasn't familiar with it, so I did a little research. It was a very notorious prison in Rome. And that's where, reportedly, uh, Paul was being kept. And this friend, Onesiphorus, at great expense of his time and energy, and at really great risk to himself, was willing to associate with the Apostle Paul And he searched for him diligently and he found him and he ministered to him and refreshed him uh, while Paul was in his chains. No doubt over and over and over again. And that is the kind of friend he needed and that's the kind of friend we need to be. Not to be ashamed of... uh, those going through distress, but stay with them. And so Paul's in this very desperate situation and he knows what needs to be done. He takes charge of the situation. And so he gives four directives, four explicit orders. Uh, The first, in, in a sense, generally all to Timothy. But the first is directed particularly to Timothy. And then the other's are reflections of other uh, concerns that he had 
with either those who abandoned him uh, or things that needed to be dealt with. So four explicit orders. The first is to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. So uh, there's more that we'll look at here in what he says. Uh, He's motivated to have Timothy come to him uh, on the basis of several different things. The first is that Paul had this devoted relationship with uh, Timothy. In the first chapter, he calls him my dear son. Uh, In that first chapter, he also recalls Timothy's tears and he longs to see him so that he might be filled with joy. So he has this, Timothy is in a sense the son that Paul never had. Uh, He had this very dear and close relationship with Timothy And so as Paul is in his desperate situation in Rome, he asks for uh, Timothy to come as quickly as he can. Now, this was a a demanding request. Uh, I think he had boldness to ask it of him because of his relationship with Timothy. But Timothy was at this time pastoring in Ephesus. And the journey from Ephesus to where Paul was in Rome was going to be a four to six month journey would have been very demanding, very difficult. Um, One person suggests that Paul was counting on the slow grinding nature of Roman justice, pace of Roman justice uh, that would allow Timothy to have the time to get back there. But at any rate, uh, he's asking Timothy to come as quickly as he could uh, to be with him. Now, some have criticized Paul for doing this. They're saying, well, you're really asking something too hard for this young man. Uh, You really shouldn't be asking this of him. And the critics failed to understand several different things. They failed to understand the depth of the relationship between Timothy and Paul. When you have a friend, a deep friendship with someone, you know you can ask really anything of them. And they will be ready to come and to help you. So the critics failed to understand the depth of the relationship between the two men. They failed to understand this kind of momentous period and event uh, in Paul's life. He, He will not live very much longer. We don't know. It may be months, but we know that the end is coming. He knows the end is coming. And it's a significant end of an era. He won't be the last apostle to die, but he's nearing the end of the apostle apostolic period. And uh, they, they criticized Paul because he would be leaving Ephesus uh, unguarded. That's not the case. Look at verse 12. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus, <clears throat> probably with this letter. Uh, it's probably Tychicus takes this letter of Second Timothy in hand to Ephesus to give it to Timothy. And then Timothy would make his journey uh, to Paul in Rome. And so the critics are just off base in, in what they think about this. And Paul was right to ask Timothy to come. He needed him to come. He goes on to say, Uh, A second kind of motivation for wanting Timothy to come as soon as he can. Uh, The second thing is number 10 in verse 10, uh, the disappointment of Demas. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, So one of the persons who had been there with him abandoned him. 
Uh, Demas was uh, a very, he had, he had a, quite a, a prime place in the apostolic order. I mean, he wasn't an apostle, but he had connections with the apostles. In uh, Philemon 24, Paul calls him a fellow worker. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter 4. There's a couple of verses we'll look at eventually here, but uh, turn to Colossians 4, verse 14. Colossians 4, 14. Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So Demas, along with Luke, is there with Paul. And uh, so he's, a, he's, he, he was, he's not a lightweight in terms of the ministry of the church in those early years. He was a faithful servant. He had served along with Paul. He was a fellow worker for him. But the idea of sticking around with Paul in that infamous prison was too much. And so he abandoned and went to Thessalonica. And uh, there, pro- there are those who would think, well, that means he abandoned the faith, that he became a heretic or an apostate. But Calvin writes about that idea. We are not to suppose that he completely denied Christ and gave himself over again to ungodliness or the allurements of the world, but only that he cared, but only that he cared more for his own convenience and safety than for the life of Paul. He could not stay with Paul without involving himself in many troubles and vexations and a real risk to his life. He was exposed to many reproaches. He was laid open to many insults. He was forced to give up caring for his own concerns. And in the circumstances, he was overcome by his dislike for the cross and decided to look to his own interests. So while we don't commend Demas in any way, we don't necessarily need to say he didn't, he, that he lost his Christianity, but he definitely lost his determination to follow the cross. Whether he didn't count the cost, whether when he was confronted with the cost of the cross, it was overwhelming to him. Um, remember Jesus said that we are um, if, if we were, will come after him, we are to take up our cross and follow him. And we need to, uh, if we're going to follow Christ, the cross is going to be part of that. And we need to count the cost of that. Realize there's going to be serious demands made of us. And Demas, he... Uh, didn't count the cost, and so he abandoned Paul and left and went to Thessalonica. Uh, He goes on to uh, talk about, as as part of still his exhortation for Timothy to come, um, quickly, he mentions two others that left. But this is a positive leaving, but it still shows that Paul was left more or less alone or with only few people. So in verse 10, picking up, it says, Crescens has gone to Galatia 
Titus to Dalmatia. Now these leavings were probably with the blessing of Paul. He was sending them out commissioned to do the work of God in these various areas. So they're not bad leavings. They're not bad departures, but at the same time, they were no longer there to be a support to him. So it would have meant, it would have meant his feeling alone, uh, not abandoned by them, but nevertheless feeling more alone. Uh, So we have those other departures. Demas was a bad departure. Crescens and Titus is are good departures, but nevertheless, they're departures. And then the last thing that Paul says, which is the first part of verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Now, he's not demeaning that. It's not, we shouldn't interpret that as though it's a disparaging comment. Well, I don't have anybody else, but at least Luke is here. Like he's some kind of piece of meat that he's thrown there. Luke was a, his the beloved physician. He was a companion of, of Paul. He was Paul's biographer. When you read through the book of Acts and you go through about halfway through Acts and all of a sudden, after uh, seeing the man from Macedonia saying to Paul in a dream, come over and help us. From that moment on, you have the uh, word we. We did this. We did that. Who's the writer that's now the we? Well, it's Luke. And he's writing about his companionship with Paul. And he was his companionship from then until the end. Uh, Through all of his imprisonment and through this Roman imprisonment. So it's not as though he's disparaging, but he's just emphasizing, I could use a little more help. I have Luke here and and he's a wonderful help, but I could use some more help. Timothy, come as soon as you can. And so we have uh, the first order was to Timothy to come as soon as he could. The second order that Paul gives is in verse, the last part of verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. There's a tremendous encouragement in this statement. Uh, to just have us reflect for a minute on the history of Mark. Mark also had a very privileged position among the apostles. Uh, It was his mother's house, likely the the house for the upper room meeting, the last celebration of the Last Supper. But it was the house in which the Jerusalem church gathered. It was most... Uh, very specifically, possibly the uh, day of Pentecost happened there. It's specifically mentioned in Acts 12 when Peter had been put in prison and the church was gathered praying for his deliverance. It was in Mark's mother's house that they were praying. And when Peter was released from prison, that's where he came. And uh, to where God's people were gathered. And so Mark was very much uh, intimately acquainted with the apostles and their ministry. So he had known the apostles from a, a, a young boy. You remember in the uh, gospel accounts of the arrest in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I didn't look this up, but in one of the accounts, there's a story told 
and probably it's in Mark. Yeah, it's probably in Mark's gospel. But the story is told of a young man, the soldier grabbed his cloak and he took off naked. Well, it's, of course, he's not named in that passage, but that was probably Mark. Uh, that he had followed along at a little bit of a distance with the apostles and with Christ. He wasn't right up there close, <clears throat> but the soldiers saw him, they grabbed him, and he fled. Uh, the, Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. But at some point, uh, about halfway through the journey, for whatever reason, Mark returned home. And that was a cause of a tremendous um, battle fight between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark with him on the second missionary journey. And Paul said, no, I don't want, want anything to do with him. He's not useful to me for ministry. And it turned out that then Mark and Barnabas went on one, one, one direction and Paul and Silas went another direction. <clears throat> so at that point in time, um, Mark was not useful to Paul for ministry. So uh, turn back to Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Verse 10, where Paul writes, it's part of his greeting, part of his letter, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So there Paul is, and Mark is back with him. Uh, Mark becomes, in a sense, the son of Peter. Uh, he was with Peter when uh, P- uh, <clears throat> when Peter was <clears throat> in Rome in prison, and he writes the Gospel of Mark. And so, when we come back here to Second Timothy, and we read, "Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry." Paul, Mark has gone from useless to useful. He's gone from someone I don't want anything to do with to bring him. Uh, He will be a help to me. And it's just a wonderful, beautiful reminder that whenever we fall on our face, in whatever way that may happen, it doesn't mean that God's done with us. It doesn't mean that there isn't a future in God's plan for us. It just means we fell on our face, like Mark did. But God had a plan for him. There were things Mark needed to learn, no doubt. There are things Paul needed to learn. And Mark, God has uh, wonderfully worked in his life so that he becomes an author of a gospel of the story of Christ's life. It's an amazing and wonderful encouragement. Never give up hope if you ever find yourself in that situation 
that you blew it. Because God likely still has a plan for you. And he will turn you from useless to useful in the kingdom of God. The third directive Paul gives is to bring my necessities to me. He says in verse 13, And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. These are the things that were considered uh, his necessities. He needed the, the cloak because it would have been very cold where he was during the winter times for sure. And then he wanted to make use of his time. So bring the books and the parchments. The books likely, likely, likely having reference to the Old Testament uh, and the parchments referring to scrolls that um, he would write on. It's interesting. So biblia is the book, is the word for books. Uh, essentially the word membrane is the word for the parchment. So it's something that's thinner, would have been easier to carry, could have rolled it up and carried it with you uh, so that it might have been easier to bring. And I was referred to this a good book, Canon Revisited by Michael Kruger. And there's a section on, specifically on this verse, and above all, the uh, parchments. And uh, just to read you a little bit of his thoughts, he says, as for the content of these codices or notebooks, that's what he's referring to as the parchments, a number of suggestions have been made over the years. Given that Paul distinguishes these codices from, Old Testament, from the Old Testament writings, many scholars have argued that they likely contain some sort of Christian writings. This may have included a variety of things such as excerpts of Jesus' teachings or early Christian testimonia, Old Testament parenthesis, Old Testament proof text supporting messianic claims about Jesus. However, one of the most compelling possibilities is that these Notebooks contained, among other things, copies of Paul's own letters. It was not at all unusual in the Greco-Roman world to keep copies of and even publish one's own letters. And then he continues talking about that point. So these were necessary items that Paul wanted Timothy to bring. His cloak, his books, and above all, his parchments. And as, as I read this letter of uh, Paul to Timothy asking for these things, there is a striking parallel to a letter of William Tyndale to the governor of the prison that he was in awaiting his execution. William Tyndale was the uh, translator, really probably of the first English translation of the Bible translated from the original languages. Wycliffe was the first translator of the Bible into English, but he used um, the Latin uh, Bible uh, as his basic um, text that he translated from. So Wycliffe, of course, preceded Tyndale by, uh, what, 150 years or something. <clears throat> but at any rate, so Tyndale is in, in the prison awaiting uh, his uh, the sentence of his death, and this is his, this is his letter to the governor of the prison. 
He writes, I believe, most excellent sir, that you are not unacquainted with the decision reached concerning me, on which account I beseech your lordship, even by the Lord Jesus, that if I am to pass the winter here, to urge upon the Lord Commissary, if he will deign to send me from my goods in his keeping a warmer cap, for I suffer greatly from cold in the head, being troubled with a continual catarrh, it's kind of a congestion, <clears throat> which is aggravated in this prison vault. A warmer coat also for that which I have is very thin, and cloth for repairing my leggings. My overcoat is worn out, the shirts also are worn out. He has a woolen shirt of mine, if he will please send it. I have also with him leggings of heavier cloth for overwear. He likewise has warmer nightcaps. I also ask for leave to use a lamp in the evening, for it is tiresome to sit alone in the dark. But above all, and note this, I mean, so he was miserable, but notice what he says. But above all, I beg and entreat your clemency earnestly to intercede with the Lord Commissary that he would deign to allow me the use of my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew lexicon, that I might employ my time with that study. Thus, likewise, may you obtain what you most, well, before I f- finish the letter. So here he is miserable physically, but he wants his materials so, they continue to, so he can continue to translate the Old Testament into English. He's already translated the New Testament from the Greek into English. And he wants to keep translating the Old Testament while he's in prison awaiting his death. It's an amazing thing. He wants to make use of his time. Uh, he, he concludes his letter, thus, <clears throat> likewise, may you obtain what you most desire, saving that it further the salvation of your soul. But if before the end of winter, a different decision be reached concerning me, I shall be patient and submit to the will of God, to the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whose spirit may ever direct your heart. Amen. William Tyndale. So the fourth directive Paul gives is in verses 14 and 15. So we're back in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Alexander is someone who opposed Paul in his ministry and is likely the person directly responsible for his, Paul's rearrest. <clears throat> his first arrest, remember, was because of his visit to Jerusalem. And they were, he was falsely accused of uh, disrupting Judaism. And ultimately, in the story of history and Acts, he ends up in Rome. Well, he was released from that imprisonment, possibly went to Spain is back in the area of Italy or Rome, and uh, he's arrested again. Uh, George Knight in his commentary says, the word used here of um, doing me much harm was uh, used as a legal term meaning inform against. So Alexander, the coppersmith, 
not only was uh, mean-spirited to Paul, but apparently he was the informant that got Paul rearrested and uh, ready for his own execution. So Paul's mention of him is you need to watch out for him uh, because and be on your guard <clears throat> against him. So we have these four directives, this desire to have tough friends for his tough time. And what would we kind of surmise as an application of, what, how would they help one another? What would be the application to our lives? How would they interact for one another? And there are three that are suggested. The first is they would be strengthening or encouraging in other words, they would, be, they would come to Paul's side to just help build him up, encourage him, strengthen him in his faith. The beloved physician Luke, <clears throat> Timothy, his child in the faith. Mark, one person calls him the successful failure. <clears throat> he was uh, the one who would help Paul in ministry. And they would be able to encourage one another. And you and I as friends, we need to be encouragers of one another and support one another and help each other. And these friends would have been able to do that. A second thing that probably went on among them is that they probably did a lot of theologizing or Bible study or discussion of theology. And I, you can imagine the discussions went uh, fast and furious because they, there would have been a lot of truth that they would have wanted to review and reflect on. Uh, but the third thing, perhaps really uh, critical, was they would have been strategizing or planning for the future uh, because it wouldn't be that long before Paul would not be with them. And what would be the future of the church? What plans could they make for how the gospel could go forward? And how they could uh, plan for that. And especially as Paul has already encouraged Timothy and uh, would encourage Mark and Luke in the steps that needed to be taken in the future for the future of the church. Uh, They would serve one another and help one another. And that's what you and I are called on to be as friends of one another. How can we build each other up? How can we encourage each other? How can we help educate one another? How we can think through what the future should be, where we should go, how should we apply scripture to what opportunities might come our way? So the challenge for you and I as we reflect on this is the encouragement. May you and I be such kinds such friends toward one another in the days ahead. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for Paul's writings that are so helpful to us and and important for us in reflecting our own calling to serve you and your people. We pray, O Father, that you would uh, use us in uh, the the building up of your kingdom and the encouraging of our fellow brothers and sisters in, in Christ, that we might serve you together 
in the days ahead in, uh, in the, the, for, the, for the good of your people and the good of your church and that you might be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.